Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Austin, Texas. Welcome to the show, Scott Carson. Hey, honored to be here, man. Uh, just here to give to your audience. You're doing a great job. Coming on 2 million downloads, buddy. Congratulations. Big, big, uh, big applause for that there. Thank you. you. Need a Thank little- you. Little pat in the back, buddy. <laughs> Thank you. Well, great to have you back here on the show. You were on the show a little while ago, and for the listeners who haven't heard that episode, you specialize in notes, and you actually teach how to invest in notes. What I thought we'd talk about today, actually, before we do that, why don't you take a minute and give a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey, and we'll talk about what's happening in the current environment. Yeah, thanks, Victor. No, no problem. I started off as a real estate investor back in uh, 20 years ago now, you know, buying a couple rentals. Uh, I was working as a financial advisor at the time, doing everything on my own, and then got laid off from my job. And and basically, I became a, a distressed borrower trying to make six mortgage payments on a, on a private school teacher salary. I was married at the time. Fortunately, I got rid of the, uh, those investment properties, kept our primary, and kind of licked my wounds for a couple of years. So I got into banking and finance again and uh, started building our asset class up. A buddy of mine approached me. He was starting a mortgage company with a couple other investors that were traveling the country teaching investing. I said, well, that's really what I want to do. So in 2004, I said goodbye to banking and jumped into the mortgage side of the business origination. And from 2004 to 2008, we were doing mortgages in in 30 different states, but it was really like a four-year apprenticeship with the investors, learning how to buy real estate. And their focus was was notes, you know, creative financing and creating owner finance notes, wraparound mortgages, subject to deals, and then even buying debt from banks. And then of course, we all know what happened in 2008. I sold my part of the mortgage company for a buck basically. And I dove head first into just buying mortgages on residential commercial properties directly from the lenders that we were originating from for that time frame. And the last 13, 14 years now, that's all that I've done is just buying debt, first liens on residential commercial properties with our goal. When we buy the debt, since it's uh, most of the stuff that we're buying is is the borrowers behind on payments or they're distressed, we're buying that debt at a big discount, and we make our money by working to get the borrower back on track through a modification or payment plan. Or if they can't pay, we can we find somebody to take over the payments for them. If not, then we will look at liquidation of either letting them walk from the property, give them some cash to walk, or if they just won't play ball with us, won't communicate, then we do go the legal route because when we buy that debt, we're now the lender, and then. Uh, you know, we have to foreclose and take the property back and go from there. So that's a little about, you know, my history bought, uh, golly, over a billion dollars in distressed debt over the last 14 years. We've got a, a little podcast ourselves called The Note Closure Show with a million or so downloads as well. So Awesome. It's a fascinating space because, like you said, you're, you're acquiring notes at a deep discount to the market. Perhaps through a loan modification, you get those notes performing again. So maybe you bought it, and I'm going to put some some numbers in your mouth, if you will. Maybe you're buying the note at 30 cents on the dollar. You do a loan modification, and it's now worth maybe 50 or 70 cents on the dollar. So you're able to make a very good profit, potentially reselling that now performing note after it's been seasoned for, say, 90 days or 180 days. Well, but actually, in a non-performing note, you're going to need to season it for about a year. Okay. And yeah, so we're... I wish it was 30 cents. We still see some of those deals, but with today's market and the, and the property values being hot and the banks know that the markets are hot. So we're shooting for 50, 60 cents of the dollar, but the same thing, get the bar back on track for 12 months of on-time payments. Then it's re-seasoned as a, now a re-performing note. And yes, then we can sell it 
back to investors, back to Wall Street for 85, 90, 95 cents on the dollar. But yeah, that's the logist of what we're doing. You got it down pat, bud. Awesome. Now, of course, in today's environment, the rising tide lifts all boats. If someone's in a distressed situation, why would they ever let the note go to the point where they the bank is you know, going to take the property back? Some catastrophic outcome like that. Why wouldn't they just list the property, uh, sell it for a profit, lick their wounds, and but at least they've got a few nickels in the bank, and they can go, you know, start again with some other some other approach. Are there distressed notes appearing in the marketplace today? Yeah, we've actually seen an influx over the last uh, six to 12 months compared to where we didn't see much in 2020 because everybody was trying to figure out what the heck the market was going to do. And with foreclosure and, and uh, eviction moratorium stopping, people were just kind of chilling around. But yeah, we've actually seen an increase in distressed debt. People that haven't paid continued not to reach out to the bank to do a modification. Uh, great examples, uh, this deal that we're talking with uh, in San Antonio, Texas, a very hot market in San Antonio. This guy's not made a mortgage payment in two and a half years. He his unpaid balance uh, of what he owed is about two fifty. The house is worth about two eighty, but unfortunately, he's got about forty grand in back payments that puts his balance way above. And we're seeing that still happen. I mean, there's still roughly a, somewhere between three and four million borrowers out there that are uh, underwater, where they owe more on the house than what it's worth. And yeah, if you're in a hot market, the the value's gone up. You can sell your house, like here in Austin, Texas, other places. We could. We've seen crazy appreciation, 30, 40% over the last two years. Yeah, that's the first thing is to try to sell your house. I would agree to that totally. But some people just stick their head in the sand and don't want to do anything. And so we are seeing increased underwater properties in different parts of the country. Um, it's actually like in Dallas and Houston, which are a couple of hot markets, but we're still seeing that second tier home, that four hundred to $500,000 property value take more hits with price reductions. We're actually seeing kind of an increase in short sales in those numbers. Florida, we're actually seeing quite a bit of distressed debt starting to pop back up there. First liens, you know, people that bought a house a year or two years ago have been laid off. So they've got a couple of years of payments that now puts them underwater versus having equity. Or they, uh, they bought a house based on their budget and they didn't do the right thing to figure out what the heck their taxes were gonna be after they bought that new build. And so- uh, wow. You know, they've got now a $5,000 or $8,000 tax bill that they can't afford because it wasn't budgeted into their, their, you know, their PITI payment accurately. And so now they're underwater and want to walk away from the property. So it's, it's, a, it's a weird time. It's not like it was back in 2010. We don't uh, foresee seeing 15 million homeowners underwater, but it's starting to creep up. We're starting to see more banks reaching out to us on a regular basis saying, hey, we haven't sold in the last two years, but we're considering selling in the next you know quarter or so. One of the things that we track, Victor, is we actually track the reserves that a lot of these large lenders put away. For Because for a bank to sell a, a portfolio of notes, they've got to have a specific amount of cash reserve sitting on, on sideline to offset that. And with banks filing quarterly reports, the FDIC, there's some places that we can actually see if they're starting to increase quarter over quarter. And that's one of the first telltale signs the bank is going to sell uh, debt or they've got some bad debt in their books is they have to disclose that also in these quarterly reports. And so we've seen an increase uh, over the last time frame. We really believe that 2022 is not going to be, like I said, not going to be like it was 12, 13 years ago, but it's still going to be substantial in different parts of the country. And then there's places like San Francisco or uh, LA or San Diego, they probably won't be affected that much just because the demand is so great. But I think it's going to be the same things like in Ohio, Michigan, Illinois, parts of Florida, the Carolinas, the Gulf Coast, Alabama, stuff like that. That's where we're seeing the most amount of distressed debt, distressed sales right now. 
I think there's certainly one thing that's going to be a factor over the next 12 to 18 months, and that is if inflation is running, the numbers came out today at 6.8%. That's damn near 7%. That's got to be close to a 30 or 40 year high in terms of inflation. There's no question that interest rates have to go up. And even if the Federal Reserve says interest rates are going to be low, the market will dictate that interest rates are going up because no one will put out money at 3% if inflation is running at 7 It doesn't make any sense. So interest rates are heading up. At a certain point, some number of borrowers are going to be facing that uh, term renewal, whether it's at the five-year mark or the 10-year mark, and they're going to be facing a massive increase in their monthly costs, and that will put a lot of them upside down. 100% correct with that, Victor. That's the that's the thing is if you haven't locked in a, a very low interest rate in the last three years, shame on you for not having your ducks in a row. That's another opportunity, too. I think people may not realize that there are a lot of people that have locked in low interest rates but have gone through a financial hiccup. Uh, we're actually seeing an increase in potentially taking over uh, notes that we can't buy with subject to deals with the borrowers, just literally taking over the mortgage and getting creative with either a, a wraparound uh, note to by owner financing the note at a higher interest rate to somebody who's credit challenged or depending on what the, the the full payment is, the PITI, and compare that to the market rent, because we see obviously seen an increase in market rents dramatically across the country too, of, of uh, sandwich lease or just renting the property out and, and paying off the underlying mortgage monthly, but, but walking away with that cash each month. Yeah, absolutely. So if someone is looking to acquire notes in today's environment, where do you look? Um, because again, there, there just aren't that many, although there may be quite a few borrowers who fail to execute forbearance agreements with their lender and uh, just got got in trouble that way by failing to take advantage of the opportunities that were available to them? Well, it's here's a, it's a beautiful day now in 2022 versus it being 2008 when I first started. The internet, LinkedIn, and other things out there, there are more tools to find notes. And honestly, if you actually, like anything else, you got to learn how to market. And one of the big things that we do is obviously we leverage LinkedIn by reaching out to the internal uh, departments of the banks with a, you know, a regular email campaign, uh, a drip marketing campaign monthly. Hey, what do you have in your books? What are you looking to get rid of? We know you've got something because we can see the quarter reports you filed uh, that you're looking to move. So it's, it's all about reaching out on LinkedIn. It's all about email, emailing the, um, the special asset managers or the second marketing department guys and gals at the banks that handle that distress sale. I mean, when we see distressed notes, it's six to 12 months ahead of it hitting the MLS or hitting a foreclosure auction list. So a lot of the deals that we buy never end up hitting your traditional real estate market for it to be a listing or stuff like that. We're actually able to go in and negotiate it. And that's our, our goal is to keep the bar on the property if we can. But if you're looking for it, LinkedIn's a great spot. There are some uh, services. There's a third-party rating system called Bauer Financial that evaluates banks and financial institutions every quarter. And so we buy that report every uh, every quarter to figure out, okay, who's gone from a five-star to a four-star bank or who's increased their ratios uh, in the distressed debt. Because they'll tell us how much of their portfolio and how much dollar amount in non-performing notes that are later than 90 days, later than 120 days in payments, you know, three or four months behind. They also show us what's coming down the pipeline, what's defaulted basically or non-performing in that 30 to 90 day so we know that, okay, this quarter you've got this and this is coming down the pipeline. Uh, is that number increasing quarterly or is it decreasing quarterly? And all across the board, it's increasing, which is makes 2022 an interesting year to see what the banks are going to do. So the banks that are part of the Federal Reserve System, they have to follow regulations. At what point 
does a note, once it becomes distressed, it's maybe 30 days late, 90 days late, 180 days late. At what point does it transition from the servicing arm to the workout team in the bank? And because it's, I'm assuming you're talking with that workout group directly, correct? We're not actually dealing with loss mitigation. So what will happen is banks will try, and then once it hits that 90-day 90, 90 or 120-day late, depending on what state it's in, usually once 120 days late, they really will accelerate it. For the most part, it all depends if it's government. With the government-insured loans, the, the Fannie and the Freddies, they've been kicking the can down the road for 18 months. They're actually willing to kick the can down the road and modify and, and uh, you know, forbearance another six months uh, based on our internal contacts and our, our conversations with FICO and other things like that too. But when it's not government loan or it's a, a, a non-QM loan, a non-traditional like a paper loan, it starts getting that 90-day uh, di- uh, distress mark where the borrower hasn't made payments in three or four months. The bank is going to ramp up the, uh, the the outreach. Hey, you need to do something or we are going to put it with a third-party uh, you know, attorney or servicing arm who's going to get very aggressive and start the foreclosure process. And, and the banks have been very lenient the last two years. We know that, but we've already started to see that increase in, in filings. Well, what's been a big surprising mark, Victor, too, is that we would expect more people that have this equity in their houses that want to stay to file bankruptcy in cases, but actually bankruptcies are down 30% over last year in filings, which actually that kind of number surprised me. But it goes back to what you said to begin with. There's equity in the house that people are just selling in a lot of cases. But for those that don't have the equity, that are behind two or three years, they haven't paid. And while the banks are losing patience, and that's when they're going to start that that process here, especially uh, we've seen it here, foreclosures up across the country. Uh, year over year, obviously, it's no really surprise. But you're, you're starting to see that stuff here now. Like, okay, we no longer are in a, a government shutdown. There's a ton of jobs available that nobody's filling. If you want to stay, you got to pay. You know pay, you know stay now. Uh, I think it's going to be the, the theme for 2022. So once that's, if you're beyond 90, 120 days and you've not contacted the bank, you're not in a modification, there's really, you, you got to start doing something. Otherwise, you're going to face that legal side of things and, and potentially face a fall. Yeah, that makes an awful lot of sense. And I think a lot of the moratoria on both evictions and foreclosures are coming to an end, whether they be state or federal or local. And that's starting to open things up where, you know, in fact, a lot of the lenders were simply barred from taking action. And now they're saying, well, okay, I have my remedies back. Time to take the next step. Yeah, that's, that's really the case. I mean, we've seen and every state is, is different too. Obviously, it's kind of, I call it the domino effect. When somebody asks me, so where do I think I'm gonna, you're going to see the most amount of distressed debt? You have to look and, and figure, okay, what did the state do individually of the federal foreclosure moratoriums? You know, states like, um, areas like Las Vegas, they went ahead months ago and said there won't be a foreclosure till January of 2022. So we're not going to see a lot of foreclosures out in Sin City until the first year. But then you start looking at like here in Texas, Texas is one of the first states to start the foreclosure process back in April of 2021. It was mostly investor loans, rehab loans, second homes that were going to foreclosure. It wasn't a lot of owner-occupied stuff, but we have seen that increase. So you have to look at where the state's at. I think what you're going to see is, is the states like here in Texas, Georgia, uh, North Carolina, Virginia, those non-judicial foreclosure states that have faster foreclosure timeframes obviously are starting to see an increase in there. States that have a longer foreclosure timeframe like New York, New Jersey, and they're, those states I don't buy in because they're very – tenant friendly. I mean, it's hard to evict. There's some people that haven't made a mortgage payment in seven or eight years in New York that are still sitting out. So those are going to be delayed, obviously, because they did get hit very hard, but you're not going to see as much uh, until probably 2023 
in uh, the Empire State. Or, so, no one's, so, so you're going to see things happening across the country differently, uh, depending on what's going on in that specific state. Now, you also you brought up, you know, there's also a lot of opportunities out there statewide versus the federal side. Um, you know, we had all this $49 trillion given to the states trying to do loan mods, and that money still has not worked its way into borrowers. Uh, it's very similar to what happened back in 2010 with the, uh, oh, it was the uh, hardest hit funds that were available uh, for lenders and, and servicing companies to modify in the hardest hit 19 states. Well, here, there's a lot of money available um, for folks to, to take action to it. But what you see is that it's just not being, I mean, let's face it, government doesn't do anything efficiently uh, in rolling out things. And that's, that's we're still waiting for states like Ohio and others that have been hit hard to get the, those systems up and running. Um, that means there'll be some some money for people to modify or they'll be incentivizing lenders like me, you know, uh, other banks to try to modify the borrower play ball. But then it all comes down to getting the borrower to fill out the paperwork and follow up with it. And they kind of you have to almost have to hold their hands and walk them through the process to, to see anything, any type of results there. I love it. Well, Scott, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? You know, the best way is if you go to uh, our main website, weclosenotes.com. Um, that's the main website where you'll find our podcast, our classes and the different deals that we're doing on a regular basis. We're constantly buying and selling debt. So we close notes.com is really easy. And then I'd like to offer up your audience, a special gift. If you're really interested every month, we teach a, a one day class. We call it note weekend. Uh, it's a, as our students call it, the cliff notes of note investing. I know how to get started, how to dip your toes in the water. Uh, normally it's 49 bucks. It's a uh, over a thousand dollars in bonuses. It's live replays and stuff like that too. Uh, we'd like to give that to your audience for free. So if they go to uh, noteweekend.com and use the code, let's say Victor, they'll get that class for free. Fabulous. Well, Scott, love the perspective, love catching up with you. And for the listeners at home, definitely connect with Scott at weclosenotes.com or one more time for the weekend noteweekend.com that's noteweekend.com and the, the special code is victor all caps or lowercase it doesn't matter without get you in for free fabulous thanks so much and uh definitely connect with scott at noteweekend.com or at weclosenotes.com in the meantime have an awesome rest of your weekend go make some great things happen we'll talk to you again tomorrow